0: We're now in an era where wellness and really looking after yourself is is very topical right now. It's very much front and center. And I absolutely agree that that should be front and center. But what I've also seen is a bit of an overcompensation in that area, which can sometimes be remiss of the fact that this is a tough job. Being in sales is not easy. And if we choose to be sellers... It means that certainly if you want to climb the mountain and get to the best of being at your craft, you know, in many cases, you are going to need to go the extra mile. And it means living with a consistent sense of pace, velocity and urgency in everything that you do. What's up, Alex? Welcome to the podcast. It is amazing to be on, feel honored. And I'm really looking forward to shooting this episode. I wanted to dive in to your
1: backstory. How did you get into sales? I know this is a marketing podcast, but I think that marketing and sales should be best friends and should work together closely. So I wanted
0: to bring in a sales legend like you. So how did you get into sales? Back when I was at university here in the UK, I actually had a full scholarship to study corporate law. As you can probably gather right now, wasn't a big fan of of taking the legal route felt there was something out there that was better for me. And I was always really, really entrepreneurial when I was young. And so I started looking around for roles just before I dropped out of the law degree. And I came across a number of different roles in recruitment and tech sales. And uh, I eventually managed to get myself set up for a role as a BDR, or as we more so call it in this era, an SDR at a a company that sold printers and, and photocopiers. I was making hundreds of cold calls a day at first thinking, what have I signed myself up for? But within a couple of weeks, uh, I broke a few company records, got the bug for it, and uh, now I stand here on this podcast leading EMEA sales for Sales Impact Academy. So it's been an incredible run, but that's how I got started.
1: It's funny because marketing and sales are like two of the same things. Everybody just doesn't know how they land up in it, but it same seems to happen. I want to ask you, you're really one of the best at prospecting that I know. So how do you how do you think about delivering prospecting for a marketer like me that or marketers out there that don't really understand what prospecting
0: really is? First and foremost, everything starts with a plan. Uh, So without sounding woolly or fluffy, right, you've got to, first of all, be clear in your own mind that you need a game plan before anything's going to happen. So prospecting specifically, the way that I like to think about it is breaking everything out into three tiers. So this is assuming that you've done the work to find your ideal customer profile or your ICP so you have a good flavor of where your company is playing to win. Once you have that, you look out in that customer base and you think, let me break this out into three tiers. Your tier one you could describe as your gold dust. These are the companies out there that fit the mass majority of your ICP criteria. So let's say there's five things that let you know you're playing to win that might be based on employee count, industry, sector, existing technology stack. Those ones that are in that tier one will have the most evidence of that ICP criteria. You then have a second tier where you'd have a longer tail amount of accounts and that's where you could have 60 to 70% evidence of that ICP criteria. And then you'll have your third tier, which is really your long tail of accounts. So often you'd have hundreds of accounts in this tier. And in this specific one, this is where you do a lot more automation. So leveraging sequences, emails, automation, because you'll have less evidence of ICP criteria match. And so that's really the way that I break it out. Tier one is your gold dust much more manual strategies, picking up the phone, really treating these as as VIP prospects, so to speak. Your tier two, where you'd blend a bit of manual with the phone, et cetera, and then a little bit of email and automation. And then in your third tier, a lot more automation because you've got less evidence of your ideal customer profile criteria. So for these people that are the
1: high tier ICP and mid tier, how much research or discovery do you have to do beforehand before you reach out like what is recommended because a lot of sales outreach i i see even if i was like the ideal customer profile for that person it feels like they didn't even do one bit of research on who i am as a person who i know so what is your theory on when someone is reaching out to someone who they have the information that they already do? how would you go approach that versus someone who you don't don't know, like what is the approach differentiation?
0: The first thing is we've got to look at trying to get the best return on investment on our time, right? It's a finite resource. We've only got so many hours in a day. So your tier ones are really where you're going to want to invest the mass majority of your time. So where you've got that evidence, you're already going to know that they fit the mass majority of your ICP criteria. So then it's really simple, right? You'd often go onto LinkedIn. You might do some uh, simple research through blogs or online articles, combine that into your outreach, and then either pick up the phone or send an email that blends in all of those ingredients. As you start to get into that second and that third tier, really in reality, you're trying to trying to get a form of more evidence. To let you know if this person actually warrants a greater time investment right and so this is where there is that element of automation that won't have as much personalization or i recommend that people simply pick up the phone because when you pick up the phone and you can have a direct conversation that's when you're in a position where you can navigate objections you can collate information in real time to figure out should i be investing more time in this and then as you get more evidence in that second and that third tier you can move someone up the stack if actually through a conversation or through an email response they let you know actually we are potentially ICP because you've now found out this and that new information. One thing I've been thinking about is
1: just for the marketers out there and how you think of as a salesperson, how would you treat an inbound lead that comes in a hand raiser, you know, their ICP versus prioritizing other accounts. So how do you prioritize both of those accounts and how is the outreach different? How do you reach out to a hand raiser versus someone you may know have a pain point, may know is an ICP. So how what's a reach out different and how do you prioritize those two?
0: I would actually challenge part of that right, Dan, in the sense that just because someone has come inbound, one thing I've learned is it doesn't mean they're ICP. Ironically, one of the biggest mistakes I see sellers make and and potentially marketers as well, is that they they assume that because something is inbound, uh, one, that it is ICP and two, that it requires the white glove treatment, so to speak. Actually, inbound leads really require as much qualification as you would think about an outbound lead, right? Or, Or reaching out to a customer externally. You still need to put them through that rigor to understand, do they fit our ICP criteria? Do they have problems that we can actually solve for? Are we in a position where we can add tremendous value here? So when a lead comes in, I'd really advise that, that companies and sellers out there and marketers make sure that they put those leads through the same type of rigor that they would when they're thinking about reaching out to a company. So again, you know, are you playing to win? What problems are you solving for? And can you solve them for companies of this nature? And starting to think about those types of questions. How could marketers help
1: sellers pass a lead that they that it is more qualified? So, what are some things that marketing and sales could do to work together to maybe set up some form fields that disqualify want leads that are worse or not hand put book meetings on calendar that actually people that fit the criteria that's filled out. What are some things that you would work with? a marketing team with to make sure that they're not handing junk over? Because I've seen both sides of it. I've seen marketers wanted to just pile on leads and sellers and they're like, why aren't you converting? And then there's the opposite side of some marketers overdo it and DQ some people that might have need. But what is, what is the relationship of how a sales leader like you would work with a marketing team to find that qualification? and only hand leads to sales that are are actually great leads and hand raisers and have interest.
0: One of the areas that would always be valuable for a sales and a marketing team is to make sure that they're on the same page with the way that they think about the methodologies, the way that they approach customers, the way they think about qualifying deals. And if we strip this back, right, companies, most of them, will have some form of common language or methodology or way of of thinking about things. So if I took a really simple one, one that's called BANT, uh, B-A-N-T, it stands for budget, authority, need, and time. And so if we just picked one of those letters, for example, let's just say authority, there might be a scenario from which actually just in a qualification form, having clarity around who that person is in the organization uh, in terms of their title, right? Something as simple as that can be an indication, at least as to whether that person may have a level of authority. And if a company is leveraging BANT as their qualification criteria, you've potentially already helped them take at least a step to understanding, does this person have some form of authority? If you wanted to go even a step further, as mentioned, you've then got budget, you've got needs, you've got timing. So there's scenarios where you can think about questions that may help the sales team. Just take a half step forward in better understanding where they are on that. There's a lot of other frameworks out there as well. Uh, we could probably spend a whole podcast on that alone, but it's just trying to figure out what is your common language and what questions can you dive into to help you take a half step forward. Two things
1: that I've, I've gotten in my career from being in marketing ops is one, ICP is a team sport. It has to be done throughout the organization from product to sales to marketing. It should be worked on together. It can't be the marketing team owning. It can't be the sales team owning. And It can't be product. It can't be CS. It has to be a team sport. And two is one thing we used to do back in the day at Snag Nation is we used to have main fields in the first form and then a the secondary field that would ask what is your current budget for buying like snacks so that you would get that budget question and then we would ask on the form when are you looking to add new snacks into your office and give it timeline. is it one to two months is it two to four months is it six months and plus plus? and then what we used to do is take those and those would grade it as a higher grade so then sellers would know okay, these people have answered these questions. They should have more priority. These other ones are also too. Also, I think one thing that a lot of people don't think about when doing this is where the person's actually coming from. So for example, if someone comes directly to your website or comes from a branded search, like they searched Sales Impact Academy, they know who Sales Impact Academy is. You don't need to take time to, explain them because they've searched for sales and then they request a demo. They they said that they want to see this product and is better than someone who saw a Facebook ads, maybe like heard a little bit about it. So there's like two ways to like handle those type of leads. That's why I think even there are certain types of leads like a lead that comes off a pricing page or a lead that comes off a that should get white glove versus shouldn't. So that's where I think working with sales team is really great because you could be like okay if they come to the pricing page and they must meet this criteria then they get white glove if not then we we treat them as this but that's also why you have more you can get more SDRs that are specified in touching certain types of leads and SDRs that are specified in doing things that's why we had like inbound reps that were just if an inbound lead we just call them automatically Still, do the qualification process that you say, but at least like call to make sure their answers are right, right away to get that quality, that time to touch up as fast as possible. I know it's a little bit of rain, but I've worked with sellers and I know that the pain of like not handing off, and that's like the biggest way to break trust with a sales team is handing them crap leads all the time.
0: Yeah, I I love the way you've described this, uh, Dan, because it certainly shows you spent a lot of time with sales teams, even in that first example. I mean, you almost covered all of what I described as as bank there, right? You were even finding out the timeline. I mean, that's probably an incredible lead for someone at the other end and probably certainly helps them expedite their time to close for that deal and much more. So I think that's a really great way of thinking about the integration. And uh, as you said, you now look at SDR teams and people that are managing and handling these leads. That's become even more complicated in a way, but has evolved over time. We've now got SDRs and BDRs, and uh, there's some companies that have XDRs, which do a little bit of both. And I remember when I started out, it was just BDRs, and all we did was outbound, right? And then marketing handled inbound all the way through. So things are evolving, and it's, it's great to see.
1: One thing I want to ask you as well before I get to the next question is, so you you manage a team and a lot of them are AEs that are full cycle. They do both. How would you manage if, let's say, marketing owned like the SDR team and they were handing off leads to sales? What are, what should that relationship be between an SDR and an AE and how should they make a better relationship? So like when they're handing off a, a qualified lead or handing off something that's good to that the, it isn't get the leads don't get mistreated. buyers't do get so the, the the process is frictionless for the buyer side. So I'm just wondering like how do you think about when an SDR gets a lead, passes it on or BDR or MDR, whatever you the name is people call it in their their organization. how would you think about that and how should SDR leaders think about that and marketing leaders who own SDRs um, a passing ugly lead?
0: Yeah, I think there's probably three core pillars which immediately come to mind, right? There's, there's the emotional side of all of this. There's the, the performance-based side and then the feedback loop. And I think you've got to have consideration for all of those things, right? First of all, you want to make sure that there's a feeling and a mutual shared vision of success and what success looks like. That's probably the emotive bit. When it comes to performance, having, again, a clear understanding of how are we qualifying deals, How are we qualifying leads? How are we actually thinking about what makes a lead top tier versus otherwise? And then on that last strand, when I say feedback loop, this is not a one-time event, right? Trying to figure these things out. It should be continuous. It should be regular. And it should be a a scenario from which both parties feel like there's a a good understanding of what success looks like at both ends. So what I'd really recommend is actually spending focused time to make sure that there's alignment on all three of those cylinders. And I know, I know it sounds really simple, but sometimes the most uh, effective things are actually the simplest because we overlook them when we're always looking for silver bullets and more. So I would say start with the foundations of those three pillars, spend time together, right? Figure these things out across those three strands and then you'll be able to start to take steps forward. I love that. I love the
1: spending time together and just getting in the same page. I think not enough. I also recommend that to marketers: like spend times, go listen to Gong calls, go shadow an AE, go shadow an SDR, feel like see what they're doing, actually understand their process. Don't just hand them a lead and not understand like how that lead gets talk to how that lead and also it helps you as a marketer too for marketers out there to refine your messaging on top of funnel that you're not over promising something and under delivering something or the messaging is not the same on top of funnel that the sellers are saying and bought in the funnel so it's good to get that alignment to get messaging down get icp down get process down, get flow down, it's 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 crucial for that whole funnel because one of the biggest part of funnel is conversion. And sellers are the biggest part, one of the biggest parts. And if you have shared alignment on revenue, it's even a bigger thing to be aligned. One thing I wanted to ask you too is with the pandemic happening, happened and is still going on some places, what is one of the greatest challenges that have happened in sales of the last like year or year or two that people should be aware of, whether it's a technical challenge or team building challenge or just like people not picking up their phones because now you don't have personal cell phone numbers. You used to be able to call a business and they would pick up their phone, but now it's people are at home.
0: There's a lot of challenges, but I, I think the upside of that is it's probably helped make everyone better sellers because we've had to be far more dialed into our activities, far more thoughtful. Some of the specific things I'd say are changes. People don't really want to spend money as quickly or as easily. So certainly as sales teams and and everyone in in any kind of go-to market function, we've had to get really specific and thoughtful when it comes to business cases, right? Making sure that the numbers actually stack up. Are we driving quantifiable business benefits and not just nice to have offerings? So we've had to get really, really specific in that regard. And I remember, Dan, certain scenarios being in, in previous roles where companies would be coming to us saying, hey, we, we need to spend this extra amount of money this year, because if we don't, we're not going to get the same budget going into the next year. right?" And so there'd be some scenarios where uh, things might be served up a little bit more than you would anticipate. But coming through the pandemic, things like that are just certainly not on the table. So being a value-centric seller and having that mindset across the whole go-to-market has been more important than ever. You raise a great point about cell phone numbers, uh, as we would just say here, mobile numbers. And um, even that sounds so small, but that has been a a massive difference maker because you can't get a hold of people as easily. You know, Before people would be at a desk you know, you'd have great long list of numbers, you would call a direct dial and you're right through. Now people are remote, they're distributed. So we've had to be a lot more focused around, one, collecting the right forms of data, and then two, really refining our pitch so that when we do get a connect, we make it count and we make it happen. And i say the last thing is just morale, uh, not only for internal teams, but for customers too, right? People have gone through a roller coaster of different emotions. So needed to strike that balance of, Uh, making sure that there's a level of sometimes empathy in the way that we're having these discussions, but also customers want to be led, right, Uh, in many cases. So it's making sure that we're true subject matter experts. We understand our proposition more than anyone else, and we can then go out there and educate our customers. I think that's something that's important from marketing, sales, and again, all supporting teams as well.
1: I love it. I love the two parts of actually talking about value because I think a lot of people just pitch product and don't have value behind it. And also when you get back to that, we were talking about ICP conversation is if you know ICP, it'd be easier to know value for each t- type of person. And if you know that the a CMO cares about this or a, a this, this leader cares about this or in typical companies like this, this is the the process. You can be more empathetic, also understanding of their problems when you. But it also comes down to just listening to what they're saying to you, because a lot of a lot of people just talk and not listen. Um, eat marketers are the guilty of this too. We make so much assumptions of what our sell- what our sellers are going through or what our customers are going through, but we don't just take the time to just listen to what they're actually saying.
0: What are the biggest differences you've seen from a marketing standpoint down through the the pandemic and recent times? I'd I'd love to hear it from the other side. Yeah. One,
1: the beginning of the pandemic, there was a cheapening of spend on the top of funnel. And then so the cost of acquisition cost went down a lot and then it started rising costs because demand started going up and, people got comfortable in that growth stage phase of that happening. So that's one thing. I think also with iOS 14.5 and not being able to track things, it's become harder for marketers. Marketers have to go back to the roots of marketing and be creative and do differentiating things and not only rely on targeting. Because back in the day, you could just do great targeting and your ad could be like, huh and you would get away with marketing. Now you have to, since costs are going up, you have to be really good at copywriting, really good at making a great ad, really good at doing, doing that. And also the time with the growth of all costs phase is going out. Um, so now marketers have to think of how to be more efficient with their money, more efficient of how they're, they're, what channels they are. They just can't spend $100,000 on a channel and not care about how, how much it costs to acquire a customer. They have to worry about those things. So there's a lot of craziness going on both sides of the world. But I think, yeah, those are the, some things. But I think the biggest thing is like going back to the markers are having to go back to the roots of what makes great marketing. And it's understanding people. It's great copywriting. It's great creative. It's great... It's being creative, like doing things that stand out. It's not only relying on numbers and relying on algorithms and relying on other things. You have to actually understand the end user and who you're talking to more than ever, and how to stand out in the sea of sameness.
0: The fundamentals,
1: get yeah. You right. got to go back to fundamentals, Margaret. Just have to go back to fundamentals, which is great. I think you it starts separating people who who know how to do the fundamentals well, which is great. I wanted to ask you, what is a a sales hill that you would die on? What is some truth that you have about sales that you would go on a hill and die on for it?
0: (laughs) For me, one of the things I talk a lot about on on LinkedIn is just really pace, velocity and urgency in everything that, that we do. And the reason I say that that would be my uh, top of the hill, I would put my stake in the ground on, is that we're now in an era where wellness and really looking after yourself is, is very topical right now. It's very much front and center. And I absolutely agree that that should be front and center. But what I've also seen is a bit of an overcompensation in that area, which can sometimes be remiss of the fact that this is a tough job being in sales is not easy, right? And if we choose to be sellers, it means that certainly if you wanna climb the mountain and get to the best of being at your craft, you know, in many cases, you are gonna to need to go the extra mile. And it means living with a consistent sense of pace, velocity and urgency in everything that you do. So when we talk about prospecting, you know, sometimes people uh, I'll see will spend hours and hours trying to create the, the perfect personalized email. And by the time they've spent that hour creating that amazing email, I've made 20 calls and booked three meetings because that pace and urgency daily is something that has pretty much carried me through my entire career. So I think it's just the sheer principle that, you know, if you want to be a seller and you really want to excel and you want to really create a legacy defining career, you've got to commit, you know, you've got to commit to it. You've got to be willing to run at it. You've got to attack each day with pace, urgency, and desire. And that's how you go out there and really make things happen. And that's why we have a 1% and we have a 99%. And if you want to be average, absolutely embrace that. But if you want to be great, you've got to do what great people do. And that's just push that little bit harder than everyone else. I'm glad the conversations have come up about
1: mental health and how to talk about it and how to deal with it. And I think what that is, it should create is not... It should create an environment that how can we make people more efficient instead of wasting a lot of time because a lot of like a lot of the time and the burnout comes from like inefficiencies and doing things the wrong way. It doesn't come from and it's also a lot of burnout that I've seen too, and I know this because I played football and I know that I got burnt out from playing football. It also comes from like deep passion like if you're not really that passionate about something it's hard to be amazing at it like if you don't have a goal or like mindset to be the best it's hard to be that and it's easy to like weigh on your mental health because it weighed on my mental health because i didn't have the true passion anymore to be like the greatest football player so like going out every day to do hard works like hard work hard work doesn't feel like hard work when it's like some people think say like hey Alex, you probably work really hard, but you probably like, did I work that hard? Like, like hard work looks different to everybody, but sometimes the hard work doesn't even feel like hard work when you actually have that deep passion or I didn't even, doesn't have to be deep passion. It has to be like, you have a goal that you set and you're going towards something and you're, you're wanting to achieve something. You have to have either something that you're going for or something that is driving you because otherwise it's easy to burn out going hard if you don't have that drive for anything.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree, Dan. I, I remember back when I was studying law, you know, I was burning out multiple times really quickly because I didn't really want to do it. I was doing what I thought I had to do and doing what I was kind of told to do. I wasn't passionate about it. And and when you're doing something that you're passionate about, as you've said, I'm not saying you can't get burnt out, but it's a different kind of feeling, right? There's a true desire to to want to put in more, to want to go out there and achieve. And so absolutely, mental health is of paramount importance, right? But I think it starts with asking yourself, are you actually in an area that you're passionate about? Are you running with great people? Are you in a growth environment that can help take you to the next level? And then with all of those factors combined, do you accept that when you choose careers like this it's going to require a bit more of you right and as a result you you often get paid well and you get compensated well and you get amazing opportunities so um, I love it as you can probably tell and um, I think that's what life's all about
1: I love the conversation because I think there is a balance but the balance looks different for everybody and I think that the way some people, I think everybody needs to recharge. Everybody is a battery. Like in sports, like you're intentional about recovery. Like you're intentional about like going to get an ice bath. You're intentional about going to stretch. You're intentional about going to go put to say like foam roll. Like you're about those things. And those are things that are recovered. That's the same thing like in like work too. Like if you're intentional about like, okay, like your mind is something that you should take care of like you could do intentional things to take care of yourself and that's why I think like so I've gone through it multiple times I just think it's a great topic but I also think that I truly believe that like you do have to work harder than most to get what you want like and hard could be being more efficient hard could be more like more hours hard could be but you still have to outwork people like in whatever outwork looks like to you so I love that conversation. I want to go into, if someone came to you today, say a seller or SDR um, or even a marketer, what is one thing you would tell them that they would come back to you five years later and thank you for?
0: What I'd probably say to them is think about who and where you want to be in one, three, five and 10 years and act today to take a step forward on that journey. The reason I think this is so powerful is that a lot of people out there are just kind of working, letting their day run them, so to speak. So they walk into a day and the day just happens and then they walk into the next day and the day just happens and they rinse and repeat and then they look back on their career and they think, wow, my my life just happened. The way I look at it is you want to be intentional about who you want to be, the legacy you want to drive and the impact that you want to have. And so when you look backwards introspectively from 10 years on in that person you are and and the things you've done in that time, it gives you a real game plan and and, and an intentionality about the way you need to think, act and operate today, right? And going back to that sense of pace and urgency that I spoke about, um, it really helps you drive that on a day-to-day basis as well. So I think agnostic of the team and the department, half the battle with all of this stuff, uh, Dan, is the way that you think can act and operate. The other half becomes the science and the blueprint of how do you actually do your role. So I'd really just encourage that person to take a step forward based on the person that they want to be in the uh, legacy that they wanna leave in 10 years plus. Um, I remember when I was a sophomore in high
1: school, one of my like sports mentors like came to me and said, hey, just write down like goals you want to achieve for like the coming seasons of football and i was like okay i'll do this and we signed a piece of paper together and i looked at it and 2 years later i looked at it and i'm like okay some of these goals were like really stretch goals but i achieved them but i think i wouldn't i think actually just putting it out there and thinking you could do something and wanting to do something you get at least if you shoot, you get closer to where you want to go. Maybe you're not hitting it, but like you get way closer than you think if you just write it down and intentional about where you're headed. Because sometimes let's say your goal is to be happy or your goal is to be make more money, or your goals is you just have to you have to say what that is. Like what is, what is the happy look like to you? What is making a lot of money look like to you? Write that down and then if you keep looking at it and thinking about it, eventually like it becomes part of your system to how you act and how you do things. So I, I I love the thing of like, actually like intentionally thinking about these types of things and you might not know and that's okay. But if you don't know, at least have the one year plan. Like I, I didn't know where I was when I came out of college where I was going to be in 10 years, but I had a, an idea that I wanted to be successful and something I didn't know what it was, but I, I I knew what it took from sports to be successful. So it was, it was just put my head down at a job and just do it what what I had to do. My first job. So this I love that you said that be intentional about what you do and be intentional about how you go about your day.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And your story is great there, Dan. And if if I can add one more point to that, it, it would just be to to really commit to mastery in whatever it is that you decide. Ultimately, the best thing that anyone can do is to become the master in the room, right? To become the thought leader, the go-to person for their company on a particular subject, on a particular topic, because that helps you really move mountains as your career advances. So once you find that path, just commit to becoming the best, right? I just say life's too short for it to be any other way. If you want to be a seller, don't go into sales to be another seller. Go into sales because you want to be the best. You're going to start off being the best in your company, the best SDR, then the best account exec, then the best sales leader. If you want to be a marketer, be the best junior marketer, then senior, then CMO one day. Don't settle to just coast through. Be the person. And I think that that mindset and that mentality will really be the thing that can take someone all the way uh, on their journey. I love that, and I also think to other people out there. I think Alex
1: has the mindset of he wants to be great, and I think that's what it takes to be great. But it is also okay if, like, if you want to be an average seller, you can go in and be an average seller, and that's the life you want to live. Like, it, it, it totally is dependent on who you want to be. But like, what he's saying is, if you want to be great, you have to do the the things to be great. If you want to be the best, and when you become an expert or a master or whatever you want to talk about, about in your craft, you have to like anything is it takes practice. It takes time. It takes doing things outside of normal hours to get better at it. Um, It's not something that just happens. If if someone's not teaching you at your current job, you seek other places to go learn. It's, or you find another place to go learn. Um, It's just, you have to find, if you want to be the best, you have to find ways to be the best. The Last question I have for you is, who are some like sales leaders that inspired you to be greater in sales? Like who is inspiring you to be great? And it doesn't even have to be like sellers. Who has inspired you to be great in your career?
0: I'm going to call out two people. One, I'll be remiss if anyone's watching the video version of this, they'll see behind me I've got a picture of Muhammad Ali and and round my apartment I've got pictures of a number of different sporting greats and the reason I have these people and and certainly Muhammad Ali behind me is because self belief right he he went round the world and he campaigned that he is the greatest he is the best even when he lost he was still the best right in his mind and that mentality and that mindset I believe has has carried him towards being someone that we still talk about to this day and will forever. So Muhammad Ali has been someone who's carried me, I'd say pretty much throughout my whole life. Uh, A sales leader that I'd love to call out is someone called Daniel Head, the chief revenue officer over at Braze. And I actually only met Dan relatively recently, but I would say in this, what I'd call second uh, chapter of my career, Dan has been extremely influential in a really narrow period of time. Uh, A lot of the things that he talks about is just really having a level of competitiveness uh, in the way that you operate. But again, he talks a lot about that whole being intentional about your activities. He's very, very thoughtful. Just little things that he spoke to me about, for example, like when people send emails or messages, right? When they say, hey, I hope you're well. And then they go into their spiel just being thoughtful about every little word just adds a little bit more reading time right and so i'm not saying you shouldn't do that but it's just thinking about all of these little aspects being a, a real fbi investigator on every activity that you do so dan's just been a great influence in in many many ways and, and someone i'd certainly recommend others to follow
1: i love the point about being very intentional about thing and the email thing is a great example because some of the greatest copywriters say like every word attaches to an emotion that you have so like you could say two different words and they have different emotional meanings to to a person so like even changing one word in your in your sequence or in your e- email or in your newsletter could change the way someone feels or acts also sometimes like leaders you just have to get to the point of what they want to hear. Like they don't have – like that extra three to five seconds to them comes off as like you're wasting their time. So you just have to think of like who you're talking to, what you want to talk talk about, like how fast. Because I see – and it's also culturally based. Like even coming to London over the two weeks, like it's funny because they say like Americans are very direct when they, they, they give written words. They don't go to like, how are you doing? How was your weekend? They go straight to like, hey, some people do that. But like when they're talking to people, they're very direct where a lot of people like want to add a little bit more. But it's it's so true. It's like all you could do is test as well, like test if that works. And I love that you have to be intentional. Every little word, it's a science. Sales is a science. Marketing is a science. It's not a perfect you could tell me how to go pick up a phone call today, but it's not a perfect science that I would close the call. It takes practice. It takes intuition. It takes time. It takes it's there's no like there is an art form and a science to it. So you have to be able to do that, which I, I love the intentional part of it. Cause that's where the intentionality comes into it is mixing the blending of science and art to figure out how things work.
0: That's a mic drop moment right there, Dan. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Um, Lastly, I want to
1: give you the platform of where people could find you. I know you are getting big on LinkedIn now and putting out great content. And I just wanted to know where people could find you. Also, you have an amazing podcast. And I'm hearing whispers that there's something else dropping soon. So um, I'll let you talk about it.
0: Absolutely. And before I say that, I do have to thank you, Dan. You've been an incredible help and an incredible support as it relates to all of this. So grateful for you. Uh, People can find me mainly on LinkedIn. So if you just search first name, name, surname, Alex Elaine, you'll be able to find me quickly and easily. Also from a website perspective, EliteLevel.co is where you can find us. We've got both a podcast, the Elite Level podcast, a sales leaders podcast, And also a newsletter that we very, very recently dropped. So you can also sign up for that at EliteLevel.co. That's EliteLevel.co. And then you've lastly got my personal website, alexalane.com. That's the best ways to find me. I highly recommend marketers go listen to a sales
1: podcast because as a a marketer, you have to build a relationship with sales. And the best way to do that is understand how they think about things how they do things and the only way to do that is listen to things that they do hear what they do and you become a better marketer if you you take time to understand who you're working with and great bread partners and alex interview some great people and look how could you resist a, a british accent like that uh, so uh thank you thank you for being on the podcast this is amazing i appreciate you